This is the big pond. She's an outlier, and her her chant in particular is a is an invitation, a way in, I think, to a whole a whole other body of chant and other music, because the contours of her vocal lines are so strange and high reaching and sensual in a way. They are different from other kinds of chant, and they they appeal in a way that other chant may not. St. Hildegard of Bingen was an 11th century German Benedictine abbess, a writer, composer, mystic, and visionary, one of only four women to be named a doctor of the church, a title granted by the Catholic Church to people who have significantly contributed to theology and doctrine. Today, she is best remembered for her music, her wildly strange and beautiful chants, and for her musical morality play, Ordo Virtutum. At this point, you might be asking yourself, What on earth does an 11th century nun have to do with life today? What does medieval chanting have to do with music today? It turns out, a lot. Here in Baltimore, Maryland, both music and Catholicism have a rich history. The Diocese of Baltimore is the first Catholic diocese in the United States, and the Baltimore Basilica of the Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is the first cathedral in the United States, designed by Benjamin Henry Latrobe, the same architect who designed the U.S. Capitol building. The Peabody Institute, one of the world's preeminent music institutions, also calls Baltimore home. Founded in 1857 and opened in 1866 by philanthropist George Peabody, it is the oldest conservatory in the United States. To learn more about Hildegard's place in our modern world, I headed over to the Institute, located just blocks away from the Baltimore Basilica. Here, medieval music and chant are still being studied and performed today. I'm Susan Weiss, teach at the Peabody Conservatory in the Musicology Department with a joint appointment in German and Romance Languages at the Krieger School of Arts and Sciences at Johns Hopkins University. It was remarkable how many of the students had a different feeling about medieval music than I usually get when I start with the plain chant. Uh, it turned them on, and I think it, it opened their eyes and their ears to what special music this is. Um, And so I think Hildegard's music is, she is an outlier, the music is very different, but it inspired them to want to learn the rest of the music, because if she could do that, well, where was this coming from? You know, what was her training? And it it was a great thing that happened. I was really thrilled with their reaction when I got back. And, And on their first test, I gave them a choice of writing, a a small essay on something they'd learned so far, and almost all of them wrote on Hildegard. Weiss explains just how diverse and strange medieval music is, music that stretches back to the birth of Christ and extends all the way to the end of the 14th century. The variety of voices, instruments, and interpretations makes it difficult to talk about medieval music as being any one thing. It's such a a large field that it has something for everyone. 
And um, having taught it for many, many years and having studied it myself, I always learn something new, um, either from my students or from my preparation for for working with this material, which is just, um, it's mind-boggling to be able to to go back in time and to realize how far ahead they were in their thinking, in their styles, in, um, in their ability to grapple with things that we are grappling with today. The liturgy of the Mass is relevant here, not necessarily because of the chants contained within the service, though Hildegard wrote plenty of those, but because of what grew out of the liturgy, namely dramatic performances that would take place before or after Mass. There were the mystery plays, um, who is um, in the cradle, it was one for Christmas, who is in the tomb for Easter, very simple ones, and then the play of Herod, the play of Daniel. Um, there are miracle plays, that the St. Nicholas plays were miracle plays. And then this one morality play by Hildegard. It's really one of the only ones that is considered a morality play. Um, and what, what they are um, are ways of expounding on the day's service. And, and giving the parishioners something a little bit more enlightening. Um, costumes, incense, instruments, um, and a story, a, a, a drama. Weiss explains just how complicated a decision it was for the opera to perform Hildegard's famous play, Ordo Virtutum, back in 1998. It was just so different than anything they had performed before. Roger Brunier, the director of the opera at the time, had to be convinced. It took the encouragement of an Episcopal priest named Reverend Victoria Sirota, who had written a thesis on Hildegard and was incredibly enamored with her, to convince Mr. Brunier that it was worth doing. But he learned a lot in the process. And one of the things I think is very interesting is that his first instinct was to um, think of the middle section where the virtues all sang, these very long, beautiful um, hymns and sequences as um, a kind of the, the not particularly interesting part of, of the work. Uh, and he didn't think it would be exciting enough. Then he realized that this m- music, this marvelous music, was actually more riveting than the rest of, of the drama, and that he was getting it backwards. As you know, we, we get this, this whole thing is sort of looking backwards. So he thought that instead of making the virtue scene an interlude in the story, the element would merely frame uh, the central celebration of the virtue. And everything changed in that sense, that he made that the centerpiece and the dialogue less important. And each of those singers, these women, were able to characterize themselves as whatever virtue they were representing. My name is Sarah Berger, and I am a singer. I am an alumna of Peabody, and in 1998... I was part of the first production of Hildegard's Ordo Virtutum that was produced here. And uh, I, I meditated myself into a, a permanent D in my mind. We could always find D and we could always find E. We, uh, it was a group of women. Um, there was one man who played the devil. And uh, 
other than than the devil. It was um, a cast of characters, including the soul and the virtues. And we embodied those virtues by singing um, these sometimes extraordinarily strange and wonderful and high-reaching vocal lines that are not found in any other kind of chant that I've encountered. And I've sung a lot of chant. They're not found in the Liber. (laughs) And that's the Liber Usualis, which is a big compendium of chants. And it's not like those. Uh, I played Timor Dei, Fear of God, and Disciplio, Discipline. Rather uh, mundane virtues, but very important but ones. Which very severe when you play. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, Discipline was a rather humorless being, as, under, as you can understand. Um, and Timor Dei, Fear of God, very understated and contained. We were rallying the soul, anima, to stay away from the devil. The the production of Ordo Virtutum um, was it was a kind of a revelation for for our for us participants. And um, again, I I mentioned the modernism idea, um, which is backwards, but. It fits, it fits the way I had to pare down my understanding of what a, what a dramatic production is because there's drama in the tiniest gestures and um, in the intimacy of just hearing a single voice with nothing around it. There's, there's high drama in there, and we, we enjoyed kind of burrowing into that and exploring ourselves and just, just the sound, the discipline of listening to each other and making our voices one when we sang all together. And it was a a really cool experience. Sarah agrees to sing for us. She is going to perform one of Hildegard's antiphons. We find an empty concert space. She reads a translation and then begins to sing. I will read a translation of Overture Sapientiae by Sherilyn Helm. O strength of wisdom, who, circling, circled, and closing all in one life-giving path, three wings you have. One soars to the heights, one distills its essence upon the earth, and the third is everywhere. Praise to you, as is fitting, O wisdom. the piano as I record, I find myself feeling calm, lifted up by Hildegard's strange melody, and the intense clarity of a lone voice reaching across the centuries.
Together, you've been listening to the Big Pond, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.